Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za Good morning saints. Please do turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 119, the text that was read to us this morning, Psalm 119. And we will be considering verses 33 to 40 this week, and then next week we'll consider another stanza of the psalm. It's good to see you all. I I was expecting to see a lot of drowsy people after the New Year celebrations, but it's glad to see people fresh and and awake. Uh, I have a question for us to consider this morning, a very short question. What do you want in the new year? What is it that you want? Just consider this this question together uh, in the light of God's word. A a new year, uh, like seasons, as it were, gives us an opportunity to to reflect. Gives us an opportunity to, to take stock of things and see where the ship is going where we think our lives are and and where exactly do we want them to go. There's nothing special about the change of the clock from 2022 to 2023, the change of the calendar, that is. There's no magic in that. But it does give us, as the way that we're designed by the Lord, we're designed as people with circadian rhythms. We're designed uh, following seasons and change of seasons. And so... When the new year comes, it is a good opportunity for us to consider if we are walking in the manner that we ought to be walking. And I know when many people hear the question, what do you want in the new year? They start talking about a lot of things here on the earth, a lot of material things. I want a better job. I want to uh, work on my marriage. I want to uh, you know, get in shape and so on and so forth. All those are are good goals uh, in their right place. Uh, But for us as believers, we have an even bigger and larger goal that it is good for us to reconsider and rethink if we are actually in the way that we are supposed to be in. The psalmist in Psalm 119 shows us where he wants his life to go by praying this prayer. And this prayer here, verses 33 to verse 40. This is where he wants his life to go. This is his, not just New Year's resolution, this is his everyday resolution. This is what he wants. This is his prayer. This is his desire. This is what he is going after. And this morning, I want to commend this to us. As, a, as, we, as we're all in a moment of taking stock, as business is not as busy as we're reflecting and thinking, to really consider this prayer and internalize it and make it our own. Uh, 
Uh, psalm 119 is by far the longest psalm in the Psalter, and it's definitely the longest chapter in the Bible. Now, the psalm is a, an alphabetic acrostic poem. Um, that means it has, it, has, it, it's, it, it has 22 stanzas, and one stanza for each of the 22 consonants in the Hebrew alphabet. So each new stanza begins with the, a new letter uh, in, the, uh, in the Hebrew alphabet, as the Hebrew alphabet goes. Now, each stanza has eight verses, with the first word of each stanza beginning with a succeeding consonant, so on and so forth. So stanza one, verses one to eight, uh, begins, every letter there begins with, uh, every verse, rather, every line, uh, begins with the Hebrew, Hebrew letter Aleph. And then in stanza two, verses nine to 16, Every verse begins with the Hebrew letter bet, and so on and so forth. Now, one theory scholars propose about this alphabetic acrostic poem is that such poems serve a fundamentally educational purpose. So the reason that the psalmist wrote it this way is to educate the people, to, to, to give them something to be able to memorize when they are, when they are learning about the Lord and learning about the Lord's word. Of course, there are some scholars who disagree. They, they believe that it can't be the case with this particular psalm because this psalm is very long. It's particularly long, and so it would be hard to expect children to be able to memorize such a long psalm. Regardless of the purpose of the structure, which is not stated for us in the psalm itself, what is clear is that there is a discernible structure by which this particular psalm works. And even in that large structure, there is a clear connecting theme in the psalm. And here's the theme. It's the word of God. The psalm repetitively employs eight synonyms well, when you translate it to the English. Generally, eight or nine uh, You have the word law, sometimes translated as, as instruction, commandments, ordinances, precepts decrees, words, promises, and statutes. And with the sole exception of verse 122, every single line in the poem contains one of those eight uh, or nine words. So the thrust of this entire psalm is the word of God. But what about the word of God? Well, the word of God is excellent. The word of God is pure. The word of God is to be held in high esteem. But more than that, and perhaps the most dominant theme in the psalm, is the usefulness or the utility of the psalm for the believer. So it's the utility of, so not of the psalm, of the word of God for the believer. Uh, the writer of the psalm truly believed that in many ways, all, if not most of his problems, would diminish if only he and those around him lived in line with God's word. That's, that's a theme that you get throughout the entire psalm with the psalmist. In the mind of the psalmist, God's word is the very key, not to human survival, but even to human happiness and flourishing. If you just toss your eyes to verse 1, of Psalm 119, you will see this. This is how he begins the psalm, and this is what he contains throughout the psalm. Look at how he begins. 
How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. And of course, this word blessed, if you know anything about the Psalter, is that usually this word blessed generally means, in modern English, the word happy. Happiness. It's talking about happy. Having a full, happy life. How happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How happy are those who observe the testimonies of the Lord. For him here, the way to happiness is to keep the word of the Lord. He applies this also to himself throughout the psalm. He says, how can I keep my way pure? Well, I need to take the word of the Lord and hide it in my heart. That's one of the most famous verses from this psalm. And throughout the psalm, he does this thing. What I need is to have the word of God. And so as we consider the new year together, saints, I want us to consider two sections of the psalm this week and next week. As you consider, as you're thinking as to how you're going to flourish, how you're going to advance this year, uh, let me bring to you this psalmist meditations for your consideration. And this brings us now to our specific text this morning. Let me reread it for us to have it fresh in our minds. Verses 33 to verse 40. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I'll keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Now, when we're considering this psalm, there are, there's this particular stanza, and really this whole psalm, there are a few mistakes we can make, so we want to avoid them. One of the mistakes that we can make is to Teach, treat every word technically here in these stanzas. The problem with treating every word technically is because this is written with a particular acrostic style in mind. So he's making an effort to start every, at the beginning of every line with the letter he. This is where we are now in verse 33 to verse 40. It's a stanza with the with Hebrew alphabet he. So he's, he's, he's making an effort to begin everything with the letter here. So he's choosing the words, not necessarily for their technical accuracy, but rather for their poetic aesthetic. So that's not to mean that they don't mean anything, but rather this means this, that when we are looking at this, it is better for us to attempt to understand the, the, the section of the psalm with a bird's eye view, then rather than going into each nook and cranny, because each nook and cranny is chosen for poetic purposes and not for technical purposes. And so there's many ways we could look at the psalm. We can look at it thematically. We can look at it uh, uh, with, a particular, with a particular set. You can try and look at each of the, the, the beginning line and the second line and try and look at it that way. 
And the way that I've chosen for us this morning, seeing that our concentration is probably affected by last night's activities, I'm just going to look at it under two headings this morning for us to consider, uh, and then we can go and, and sing and pray. Two headings. There are two things that come out clearly from the psalm. There's first a request. There's an obvious request throughout each line, almost every line. There's two lines that aren't, but most lines have a request in them. There's a request, something being asked. He wants something. We're going to consider what is it that he wants. What is it that this man is after? And the second thing is that there is a confidence in the effectiveness of what he's asked for. So there's, a re- there's something that he's asked for, and then there is a confidence in the effectiveness of the thing that he's being asked for. First, let's look, of the, let's look at the request. Much of this, of course, is a request. Look at this, verse, what, verse 33. Teach me, O Lord. Give me understanding. Cause me to walk in your commands. Incline my heart. Turn away my eyes from worthless things. Fulfill your word to your, to your servant. Turn away the reproach that I dread. Revive me in your righteousness. Or in the ESV, in your righteousness, give me life. There is a request stated in different ways uh, and pointing at different things, but there is a singular request. And what is it that he's asking for? When you're reading these things, this this man is, is on his knees asking the Lord to do something. What is it? What is this thing that he's asking for? He's not asking for anything that's complicated. He is asking that the word of God that he knows to be pure and excellent, that he might be enabled and given by God what he needs in order to live it. See? There's there's the word of God. We've just said this whole psalm is about the word of God. Here's the word of God. It is excellent. It is pure. It is exalted. Now, Lord... Help me, give me what I need internally, give it to me, seat on my chest everything that I need so that I can live in line with it. There's positives and negatives here. Notice the negative. One of the negatives is verse 37. Turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things. So I don't want to look at worthless things. I don't want to fill my eyes and my heart with filth. But rather, I want to fill my eyes and my heart with the life that comes from your word. See, this man does not, this man, he wants to move from an understanding of God's word, that God's word is this, it is excellent, but there is a problem in his practice. And so he says, Lord, reconcile these things for me. Move me from this what I know, and move this, this practical experience of mine, and match it, such that I live as though I believe what it is that I say I believe. That's the negative. He says, turn away my eyes, but look at the the positive. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. When he says, teach me, 
He is saying, Lord, reveal them to me clearly, closely. Let me, let me understand them. And you have to understand that in, in Hebrew literature, understanding is not neutral. A lot of the times in the West, we think of understanding as just a matter of, you know, just a matter of growth. You know, well, you just need this information and you'll be fine. Get this information and everything is fine with you. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, give me more information. Or give me the, the, give me the, the you know, the, 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 the latest study Bible so that I can understand it. Get me all the scholars to explain to me so I can understand. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, teach me, lead me by the way. Let make me walk in it. Teach me, be my teacher. And let me as a student reflect what you're saying. Because look at what he says after. He says, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. He's not just saying, show it to me, what it, tell it to me, and then I'll walk that way. He's saying, grab my hand, teach it to me as I walk by the way, as I sit on the ground, as I, as I eat food in the morning. Make your word come alive to me and help me walk in it. He says, give me understanding that I may keep your law. Look at that in verse 34. What is the reason that I'm not keeping your law? It's because I don't have understanding. Not that, not understanding of the big words that are complicated. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, give me understanding in my inner man. Help me to move from knowledge to wisdom. See, the psalm is, of course, wisdom literature. And what we understand by wisdom literature, that's Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, uh, Song of Solomon, uh, Job and, and the Psalter. What we understand from wisdom literature is that it is trying to bring people from, here's the, here's the word of God, but true wisdom is you living in light of it. Here's, here's what God, God's word is. This is what it means. Here's the right way. Now don't be a fool and walk another way. Walk the right way. What he is asking for here is the understanding internally that will move him to act in line with God's word. Because they, while he might understand the, the scriptures, while he might know the will of the Lord, there's something lacking in him that is making him not act in accordance with God's word. So he knows God's word, he understands God's word, but he's just not walking in it. So he says, Lord, give me understanding, take wisdom, Put it in my heart so that I might be moved by that wisdom to live in light of your word. And then, of course, it culminates here in verse 35. He says, lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Lead me in the path of your commandments. Take me on this journey and, and, and get me there because your word is wonderful. It is a delight to me. Verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Notice what he's saying here. My heart, Lord, when I consider my heart, I am usually inclined for him to selfish gain. Now, for different people, there's different things that they are inclined to. And we want to usually hide behind the excuse of personality. But the reality is that unless our hearts are inclined to the testimonies of the Lord, something is wrong. 
So we could be, for him, he says, not to selfish gain. Perhaps that's his issue. But as we're sitting here, there are different issues. Some of us are inclined to entertainment. Some of us are inclined to laziness. Some of us are inclined to just not picking up the word of the Lord. Some of us are inclined to our own opinions. Some of us are inclined, you can fill in the blank. Here he is saying, Lord, incline my heart to your testimonies. Make my heart so love your word. Be so tender towards your word that I just want it and nothing else. I learned, uh, I learned a new phrase this week that the kids use because I pastor a church, unfortunately, it has a lot of children, a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, students, and they have all these phrases, and I have to keep learning these phrases. And I thought I was young, but clearly I'm not. And this phrase that I learned this, this, this week is down bad. Do you know what that phrase means? Down bad? No? You see, you're like me. No, this phrase that the students use is, is when somebody is really infatuated with someone else. So they say, yo, he's down bad. Like this guy is down bad. He is, he is, he is infatuated. Well, that's perhaps a better word I should have used. It. The word infatuated. That's the, that's the right word. Make my heart so enamored with your word, O oh Lord. Make my, turn my heart. There are so many things that are trying to infatuate my heart. So many things that I lean towards. But may my heart just be infatuated with your word and you, O oh Lord. That's what he's asking here. He's asking that his heart be saturated, be, be enamored. This is a change internally. Notice all of these things are about himself inside. Change me from within. Turn my eyes, verse 37, from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. And this one speaks for itself. Turn my eyes away from looking at things that are not your word, that are filthy, that are going to take away life from me and, and turn me in that way. Some days, Lord, I am a responsive sheep. Some days you tell me to call this way and I go that way. But if I'm being honest, some days I'm like a stiff-necked yoke of oxen. Some days I'm like a, a cow that just does not want to change its head. Some days I'm very self-willed. I want to look at worthless things. I want to ponder on worthless things. I want to be taught by worthless things. I want to incline my heart to worthless things. And he is saying, Lord, use all the energy and power you have in heaven to turn my stiff neck the right way. Why aren't you turning your own stiff neck if you're stiff neck? If, if you're the one who's stiff necked who, who, who always turns to worthless things, why aren't you turning your head? That's not the consideration here. Because he understands what he is like. He understands that if he is to walk the right way, it's going to require the power of God. This is, this is not for him to do, this is for God to do. God is the one who's going to have to achieve this in me. Now we're going to look at a different angle of that next week. So if you have a question about that, 
Just hold on. We'll look at a different angle of that next week. But the, 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 the issue here, the thrust here is, Lord, do this or it won't be done. Turn me the right way. Well, that's the request. In this request, we see three things at least. Three things. One, we see a desire for God's word. See, he says, I delight in your word. He says, I long for your precepts in verse 40. And this is not, this request is not made by someone who needs convincing that God's word is pure, holy, excellent. This is a request that's made by God, by a person who knows that God's word is all of those things and more. But second, we also see a dependence on God to walk in the word. Uh, this person show him the way, but this person wants God to actually pull him out where he gets stuck and keep making him walk in the way. Lead me on the paths. This person doesn't come to God on his own terms. He wants God to show him the way as it is and then be made to walk that way. You see, what, what are the things that you are tempted to do when you're, you're, you're faced with the reality that here's God's word and here's what it requires, but here's where you are not, not meeting that. We have a few choices available to you, and many people choose one of the choices, different choices. One of the choices that you have available to you is to just deny that it says what it says. That doesn't mean that. You, that's archaic. That's an archaic interpretation. It doesn't mean what it says in plain language. Let's find another way to say it so that we can make ourselves feel like we're meeting it. That's one way you can deal with it. The other way you can deal with the issue, the problem of you not being where God's word is, is that you can be defeatist. Just, well, woe is me. What can I do? How can I, how can I walk this anyway? Well, I mean, I mean, I keep, but I mean, I keep trying. And I, I've, I've had this. I've sat with people this year where someone just, ah, it's fine. Well, what, what can be done? Nothing can be done. It's defeatist. That is unchristian. Okay. The third option, the one that the psalmist is doing, is the correct option, which is, Lord, here is your way. Enable me by your grace to walk this way. And when I fail, praise God, I have a sacrifice, the Lamb of God, who died for each and every one of my failings. But Lord, enable me by your grace, please, to walk it. And when I fail, I get up again. When I fail, I say, I, I, I praise God for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ because he knew I will fail. He came, kept the law so that I can live holy, I can live with him forever. He's done that. So this is not a matter of whether or not I'm going to get into heaven or not. This is now a matter of whether or not I'm going to live an obedient lifestyle. And so I get up again. Okay, so what can we learn from that failing? And then let's ask God again to give us the grace to walk and move forward. We're not to be defeatist. We're to be dependent upon the Lord. Lead me, Lord. Teach me. Turn me. Turn my eyes from these filthy things. And help my heart. Okay, I completely made a mess of that. Now, Lord, please do what it is that is required so that I can grow. I can advance in grace. 
There's desire for God's word, there's dependence on God to walk in the word, and then there's an acknowledgement of inability. There's a clear acknowledgement of inability built in to all of these. I need you to do this. I need you to do this so that I can achieve and walk in your word. I'm unable to do this myself. Turn away, verse 39, turn away the reproach that I dread for your rules are good. What he's saying there is that you, that if I'm left to myself, if I'm, if I'm left to myself, you are going to have to reproach me. Meaning, you're going to have to judge me. So rather, turn away your reproach. But how does God turn away his reproach? By making it unnecessary. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Make the reproach unnecessary. Enable me to walk in this way so that your reproach is unnecessary. Because I want to live in line with your word. I don't want your reproach. I want to live in line with what you have said. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. This is a serious statement of inability. In your righteousness, give me life. I long for your precepts. I desire them. But, there's, but my desire is not enough. I need you to do something. So please, in your righteousness, give me life. There's deadness here. There is no life unless you give it. Give it to me. There's an acknowledgement. There's a desire for God's word in this request. There's a dependence on God to walk in the word. And there's an acknowledgement of inability. Well, that's the first thing. That's the request. And then secondly and finally, I want us to consider confidence in the effectiveness of what is asked for. Question. Have you ever asked for something not being sure if it's actually going to do the thing that you need it to do? Ever asked, like, well, can you give me that? Let me go try it. You know when you're talking to somebody and you have a problem? Maybe you're trying to you fix your, trying to do something with your plumbing in the house and someone says, no, you have to try this particular pipe wrench. This is the one. He says, oh, really? That's your recommendation? Well, let me take that pipe wrench, and you go home. It doesn't work. But while you're asking that pipe, for that pipe wrench, you're not sure if it's going to do the job or not. Perhaps this particular friend is known to be very eccentric in the way he, asks, he says things. You're not sure. You're asking for it. Please bring it here, but you're not sure if it's going to do the job. Uh, some people perhaps were asking for a particular outcome in let's say, for example, in the recent elections of the ANC president. And they're not sure if that president, the one, the outcome that they want is the one that's going to do the job, but, they, but they're saying, hey, let's give it a shot. So there's, there is an asking for something. You're asking for it, but you're not sure if the thing that you're going to get is actually going to do what you want it to do. You're not sure. It happens to us all the time. But then there is, there is certain times when we are 100% sure that if I get this that I'm asking for, it is going to do the job that I need. If you, if you have a nail to put in on a piece of wood, you know that all you need is a hammer. And whichever way you're going to get, you're going to take that hammer, you're going to hit it on the nail, and it's going to do the job. The nail's going to go in, unless there's something wrong with your arm. But the reality is that there are certain times when we are certain, this is what, is it, this is what I need, and I know it will do the job. Well, that's what's happening here. Look at these phrases. I want you to consider some of these phrases that he uses here. 
Look at verse, look at verse uh, 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Lord, if you teach me the way of your statutes, I will keep it to the end. No, no questions asked. If you do this job in me that I'm asking you to do, then the, the necessary result will be that I'll keep it to the end. Because you have done it. Look at verse 34. Give me understanding that I may keep your law. You give me this understanding. You come and you do this work. You put this wisdom inside of my chest and I will keep your law. I need this in order to be able to keep your law. I will do it. And he says, he goes on, he says, and observe it with my whole heart. Uh, to understand this, it is necessary to make a distinction between praying and wishing. Okay? Praying and wishing, two different things. There is a wish that you make. Oh, I wish, I hope something like this, would, I hope this would happen. That's a wish. But there's prayer. What is prayer? Well, we could summarize prayer this way. Praying, number one, is to acknowledge that there is an all-powerful God. And praying is an acknowledgement that I, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, have his ear. Praying, thirdly, is to acknowledge that he has promised to give me everything good. Remember what the Lord Jesus said. Which one of you, though you are evil, would give your children a snake when they're asking for bread? It's the same with the Father. He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And the reality is that, that, that when we're praying, we must know that we're not wishing our prayer lives must resemble that of this man, praying with confidence that what we're asking for we will receive. James says it. says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask the Lord. But don't ask doubting because you'll be, you're an unsettled person if you're doubting and the Lord's not going to give you what you're asking for if you're not even sure that he's even there. You see, praying is not wishing and wishing is not praying. You must make a distinction. You must be able to notice in yourself when you're wishing and not praying. You need to be able to notice. Now I'm just throwing things out there. I'm not praying to a living God. So, what do you want in the new year? Do you desire to be like the Lord Jesus Christ? Are there things you desire to turn away from but have been unable to turn away from this past year? Is there an inclination in your heart that is particularly pointed the wrong direction? Have you picked up certain habits that the Lord hates? Is your heart a labyrinth of weeds that needs to be tended? You need to do some hard work and do some business with the Lord. Let me encourage you, saints. Pray this prayer. Start here. Pray this prayer. Before you, you go on to make bold proclamations of how you're going to change, go to the one who can make you change. Go to the one who can work within you, who can go in there with his outstretched arm 
and take out all the dirt and the filth and all the, all the dross that is built up over the past couple of months, over the past couple of years. He is the only one who can properly remove it out and present you like Jesus Christ. And because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have, we have confidence that if we pray this prayer, trusting in Him. You know, there's not, a lot of, there's not a lot of prayers that you can be this confident that God wants to, that God wants to honor. Yeah? There's not a lot. A lot. You know, a lot of prayers, we pray them and trust the Lord, but we, we give the Lord that if, if it's not my will, your will be done. If it's within your providential organization, I want this job, I want, you know, I want to marry this person, or I want this child, uh, you know, I want to get pregnant, or I want to, I want to go this way, or I want to go that way, or I, I want this business to flourish, or something. All of those prayers are good, but it is within God's providential uh, power to decide whether or not he's going to give them to you. It's part of his plan. But this one is a clear one where there is no if, ands, or buts. Do you honestly think that the Lord would save you and then not want to make you holy? No, you don't, you don't believe that. You know that the Lord wants to make you holy. So here's a prayer for us to pray. Lord, incline my heart. Lord, make me this way. And pray it earnestly and do not wish for it. Pray it with hope that the Lord will answer it and be certain like the psalmist is that when he gives it to you, you will be in the way that he describes. Let's pray. Indeed, Lord. Uh, Lord, we, we, we understand that we, uh, we often fall short of your word. And as we consider the new year, we ask, Lord, that as a congregation, you would do this for us. You would incline us to your testimonies. You would teach us your way. You would lead us in the path everlasting. And, oh, Lord, you would turn us away from all the nonsense and the filth that wants to cling so closely. Help us, Lord. If you do not do this job, it will be left undone. You are the one who has the power to do it. Holy Spirit, you are the one who has the power to clean this vessel. Thank you for the work that you have begun in us in Christ. That because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that we are accepted and loved because we have his righteousness before you. But while the Lord tarries, and while one year turns into another year, while we're still here, we want to live lives that honor your word. So please help us, Lord. Incline your heart and your mind toward us and turn us towards yourself. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing together now a hymn that really summarizes this morning's message. Uh, Be Thou My Vision is really, the, you can, you wonder, I wonder if the writer of Be Thou My Vision wasn't reading 
this section of Psalm 119 when he wrote it, 